absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and got a real special guest today. We've got Corn Ferry Tour Pro Byron Meth. Byron, how's everything going? It's going great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Scott and I have been big fans of, of you for quite a while. Um, you know, I guess self-proclaimed meth heads in the best way possible. Um, how many times do you hear that around when you're out there, people saying that they're meth heads? Oh, there's a lot of that going on, especially like in the pro-ams. We'll, we'll get along really well with the group and then they'll be meth heads for life sort of thing. Uh, my pro, my amateur partner from the BMW Pro Am in South Carolina, Tim Sharkey, he's a method for life, and he's starting the <laughs> method fan base in Atlanta. So um, you definitely get a lot of it, and it's something that, with my name, is it's great. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and uh, they can have a title for themselves, and you guys are part of it now. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's extremely marketable. I mean, we might be on to something here. Shirts, apparel line, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe some tees that say Method. <laughs> For sure. Um, so listen, you turned pro in, in 2015 out of University of the Pacific. Now, that's not an institution that most people are really familiar with out of Stockton, California. Uh, give us a little bit of, of how you got there how you were recruited there how you kind of ended up going there and you were there for four years correct yeah i went there all four years okay so give us a little bit of of how you got to the university of the pacific kind of how you heard about it and uh your time spent there yeah so my junior golf career i basically tried to succeed at every level and once i got some national attention from colleges i had a fairly decent arsenal of where i wanted to go um and i could kind of pick and choose a little bit and had a few different good offer, few offers that were all uh, doable financially. So we really decided to look at what was a good fit for me. And I wanted to go to small private school. I didn't really care about the football or the big sporting events or the parties. I was there to get a good education and play golf all four years. And a lot of these bigger schools, you may or may not play freshman year. And then if you're struggling a little bit, they might bench you. And I thought that if I could go somewhere where I could play all four years and be an impact, impact player and enjoy the quiet life I live off the course, then I could succeed. And that was a perfect fit. Brandon Gothals was the coach at the time, and he and I got along great. And it was one of those things where he let me do my thing. And if what I was doing was successful – for the score for the team that was great and that's all he asked of us and one of the reasons I went there is his recruiting style he watched me for three events straight I think it was like 12 rounds in junior golf and he didn't miss a single hole and that's kind of shows his dedication to my ability as an athlete and it was one of those things that drew me to at least go take a visit and we got along in the visit and that's how I ended up there that's actually real cool because you don't hear that much with college golf coaches. Most of the time, it's they're looking up AJGA scores. They're looking at strength of field, maybe course rating, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not there in person, especially not over the course of three different rounds or three different tournaments, I should say. Um, yeah, I mean, that must make you know a, a teenage Byron feel great, You know, someone coming out and dedicating their time to watching you play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my junior, I played a lot of junior golf, which was awesome, but we mainly focused in Southern California, California, Arizona, stuff that was drivable. It didn't make much sense to fly across the country when I was succeeding locally and I could go where I wanted to for college based on that. So a lot of the AJGA stuff nowadays, you have to play all over the country and spend all, spend all sorts of money to get recognized and to go to the big schools and this sort of that sort of thing but it was nice to have that support from someone that obviously wanted me to play for his team but also kind of knew the dedication and how I play golf and understood my emotional roller coaster on the golf course just like everybody else because we all try to stay calm but 
we all know that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, that goes for pros and, and amateurs alike. You know, everyone has those up and downs throughout a round. And if you can imagine playing as much golf as you do, I'm so sure that those roller coasters just magnified even more so. Definitely. And it's one of those things as a professional now, like you can't, you can't go off the wall and just erupt or anything. So you keep your composure. And then it's one of those things where you look like you're calm, but you also want it so bad sometimes where you're not calm inside, but then you get yourself back down to, okay, here's what I have to do and just kind of go with it. Use it for, use it for good and go make a bunch of birdies. Yeah, one of the things that always amazes me anytime I'm at a pro event and, and more so now than, than prior, we're, we're at a lot more pro events, is the fact that there's always like this eerie calmness inside the ropes. You know, there could be chaos going outside. You could be at the U.S. Open. There's 80,000 people. They're herding them like cattle throughout, this, you know, the outside of the ropes. But inside, it's just calm, quiet, composed. Um, I think more amateurs could learn from what you guys do as, as far as that of kind of how to control emotions or at least how to fake make it look like you're controlling those emotions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with what we do for a living, one shot over the course of a round or let alone a tournament can mean the difference between keeping your, keeping your job or losing your job or making a million dollars, making half a million or on our level, it could be making a hundred grand versus 50 grand. Like it doesn't, like one shot is so important that you have to understand that this is what I have in front of me and do it. And if you can't, then it's probably not the job for you. Like uh, it's one of those things that if you can't control your emotions at the time, then you're not going to be able to control it when the stakes get higher and you just have to do it. And it's one of those things with professional golf that you just have to understand it's part of the job and, in between shots, sure, there's time for fun and stories and jokes, and especially when you're playing with buddies, like there's always going to be funny things that happen. I remember playing in Portland at the final event of the season. I was paired with Tyler McCumber and Andres Gonzalez, and those are two guys that have the greatest personalities ever. So, of course, that round had a bunch of laughs in it, and we were supporting each other and wanting each other to do amazing things on the golf course. And in between shots, we were joking and telling stories and laughing and making fun of each other, and that's part of professional golf that a lot of people don't get to see. How often is it that you get paired up with a guy that you just can't stand? Does that happen often out there or, or not really? I mean, because the corn Ferry tour is, is really kind of a rotating cast because there's so many guys that might have conditional status or they're only exempt for eight tournaments. And then, you know, guys are jumping up from mini tours to that. And guys are coming down from the PJ tour certain weeks to play. Does that happen often or, or not so much? Or do you not let it bother you? I feel like it does happen. Um, I, I don't think it happens very much for us. There's people we like playing better with, but I'm not one of those guys to talk on the golf course a lot unless I really know the person and, and we understand what each other is trying to do. Um, the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody that I don't know and then they'll like go off on a tangent and do, I don't know, but it's one of those things that you try to keep it under control as much as possible. And then if I am playing with a good buddy, like I we traveled a lot with Brett Druitt this year. He's an Australian and my dad's Australian and we kind of, we kind of get along great. They live in Scottsdale and we, uh, we live in the same city, practice together, play practice rounds. So when we're paired together, it's really easy. Um, and then when there's other people that you get paired with, sometimes you just don't talk to them. Um, and that's kind of how I handle it and try to keep it under control. Got you, got you. So you had mentioned obviously being in a really accomplished junior player, and then that continued on through college all the way until uh, the USAM Pub Links Championship. And you were actually the last USAM Pub Links Championship before the USGA changed that over to the four ball. And so what a lot of people don't know is that the USAM Pub Links Champion gets an invite to the Masters. So as the last USAM Publix Championship, uh, how special was that, knowing that you got that invite? Did you know that that was on the table, you know, like coming down that the last hold or whatnot? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Okay, that, yeah, that's any, what I figured. I mean, how do you anyone know? Anyone <laughs> at the top-level amateur golf, even, I mean, maybe not even at the top-level amateur golf, knows that 
if you win at that moment the publics usam british am um if you win those events you are in and that's something we all strive for as amateurs and it was awesome to go to that event knowing that that was an opportunity um one of the special things about that week my dad he doesn't he never really took me to many junior tournaments because he was an independent contractor and he couldn't take paid vacation and that sort of thing um but before we were going he's like i was gonna go by myself and then like a week before he's like i'm gonna go with you and i'm like all right cool and we were kind of joking on the way there we're like it'd be so cool to be the perpetual champion and then it just (laughs) happened it happened to work out that way um but that was definitely a cool moment to have my dad with me there he walked every tournament round every hole um and it was he's cool because he's he's into it, but at the same time, like he doesn't care if I shoot a hundred or fifty nine. Like it doesn't matter to him. So it was a cool calming presence for me to have him there, and it was part, it was part of uh, what made that week so special. Yeah, he's just there for you. He's just there to see his son play. You know, probably yeah. just so proud to see you out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you get to play in the 2015 Masters. Uh, Jordan Spieth wins that at 21 years old, and you actually played a practice round with him, correct? Yeah, we did. Uh, um, I, I knew Morgan Hoffman from before, and I played a little junior golf with Jordan, and I saw Morgan on Monday afternoon, and I was like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, I'll be on the 10th tee at 10 a.m., and I was like, all right. And then it was me, Morgan, Brooks Kepka, and Spieth, and I was like, that's a pretty good group to get paired with. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Now, now playing with him that round, did you have any inclination like, oh, hey, maybe it's this kid's week? Um, nah, he he uh, he's so good, and they're all so good. I mean, there's so many really good golfers, and you never know when someone's going to win because practice rounds you can't really tell if someone's playing really good or not because we can all do it in the practice rounds. It's when you get under the gun in the tournament and you can put it together. Um, that's when you know if it's going to happen for someone. You can tell um, if someone's going to be in contention early on a Thursday, if uh, they're striping it and under control and making a bunch of pots. Like You can tell they're going to kind of be in the hunt. But in, on a Tuesday, we're just messing around, hitting different shots, getting a feel for the course. Um, obviously, they're all really good and um, but you couldn't really tell now. So I've been lucky enough to have gone to Augusta. Um, you know, not a lot of fans of the game or anyone even with what we do with media gets to go. Um, I always explain it to people who ask, and I say you have to understand that it actually is real, but when you are there, you will completely think that everything is fake yeah. because it's just so perfect. Being inside the ropes and and being, you know, I mean, oh, God, just awesome stuff like being in the crow's nest and getting to walk through the clubhouse and stuff like that. Things that we don't get to see as fans. How would you briefly kind of summarize that for people that have never been there? It's simple. It's perfect. Um, (laughs) There's there's no other way to describe it. How, How cool is the crow's nest being up there? It was really cool. There's so much history involved with that little little room up that ladder. Um, there's, I think there's six beds, maybe five, but they're all like little curtains around the bed. So you have your little twin bed and then the little curtain and you all share one bathroom. So we stayed up there one night. It was myself, Corey Connors, and Scott Harvey. Um, Scott I knew from before we had uh, Walker Cup practice together um and then Corey, i got to know after the fact when we were on canadian tour and Corey and i actually just stayed together at the safeway open this fall just by chance at a host family um so that was cool we we uh enjoyed that moment together and uh we just stayed there one night and then kind of got to work and stayed a little further away from the golf course to get out of the chaos so when I was there, you know, and, and you get to kind of see the crow's nest from the outside in that building, the coppola and everything up there, I always imagine, you know, like your mind runs wild. I'm like, all right, if I stayed there, as soon as the lights went out, you know, and it turned dark, I'd sneak down and, and have the run of the place. Um, were you guys allowed to do that? 
Like, did they have uh, guards there? What, what's the deal? We there was like a concierge desk, like at the bottom of the stairs. Like, if you needed anything, you could go down there and ask for it. But we didn't really uh, try to sneak out at all. We that was Sunday night before the tournament, and we had the dinner of the amateurs um, that evening, and got to meet a lot of very interesting people and very successful people, and had a bunch of really good conversations. Had a great dinner. Um, gave a speech in front of all those USGA RNA officials, I guess national members. And um, so that was a great experience in itself. And by the time we were done with photos and chatting and that whole experience, we just kind of wanted to chill and get some sleep. Now you could stay up there the whole week if you wanted, correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, I'm going to assume though, for someone that wants to play well in the tournament, it's probably not that conducive to sleeping well. Uh, it kind of depends how you sleep. Like my personality, I just need to kind of get away and chill. Um, but if someone just doesn't really, isn't as OCD as myself, (laughs) um, I think it could work out great if you're on property and just want to enjoy the whole experience. I think, uh, there's many different recipes for success and, uh, that could be one for somebody. Gotcha. Um, last question about the masters, just cause I have so many for that. Um, the green coats as you interact with them now as a patron uh as a fan i mean we even you know model our intro to the podcast after augusta um but as a patron there i felt like all the green jackets running around were more than affable i mean would would help you with directions or even simple things like Hey, uh, see that guy's hat over there that he's wearing? Like, do you know if that's still in stock? And like, well, you know, we can make a call and check. And, and, and every single one of them seemed more than willing to want to help. Is that the same way with you guys, with the pros? Do you get much interaction with them? It, they are so helpful. It's unbelievable. I mean, we got there. Let's see. I'm trying to think. So I got there on Wednesday night like the week ahead of time. So I was there for a while. Um, and I actually got to play with Jimmy Dunn. He's a member there, obviously. And a, a yeah, president I mean, of Seminole. Yeah. <laughs> Most people that, I, I guess, golf nerds yeah. like myself would know, you know who Jimmy Dunn definitely is. Yeah. So he was super generous with everything. It's like, if you need anything, give me a call, do this, do that. Um, and that goes for every member I got to interact with. Um, like one of the, I talked to Condoleezza Rice at the Dinner of the Amateurs for 15, 20 minutes, and that's something I never thought I would be able to do, and she was awesome, and we talked about everything from, like, politics and econ to, like, where I went to school and what I did and that sort of thing, so it was, uh, so moments like that, you just don't, you can't recreate, and uh, everyone's so helpful there, and it's a first-class establishment, and there's nothing like it in the world. And so... I know I said lastly before, but let's talk the course. <laughs> let's talk the course real quick. Um, you know, now with HD TVs and 4K and all this stuff, um, we can kind of get a little bit of a glimpse at home of how hilly and how much elevation there is at Augusta, especially like in and around the greens. Um, what's what's one of what's one or two of your takeaways of actually being able to be out there and play the course? in practice rounds, and in tournament conditions? Uh, well, something funny to start with. My caddy I had with me, he caddied there. Is pro, I think that was the ninth time, ninth tournament he's caddied in there. Um, his name is Alan Bond. And so he and I made a rule walking from the eighth tee box to the fairway and then from the fairway up. No words were exchanged from the fairway up to the top of the hill because it's that steep. Right, I was going to say it's such yeah. an elevation change. You're hiking up <laughs> you're there. Like, you get up there and you have like a little thirty yard pitch shot and you're just gassed and you're just like it shouldn't do it to you, but it's just so steep and undulated and the whole property is a great walk and um, condition wise, I went in December, the December of fourteen, I think that was. Uh, to do a little prep work and scouting before because they're very generous with allowing us to come prep, prep whenever we'd like, more or less. Um, there's a few restrictions on that, but I got three days and I played 36 a day um, <laughs> in December. Smart man. And took full advantage of it. It was freezing. It was 45 degrees, raining and windy. I, I remember hitting driver five wood into 18, which in the tournament, it's a driver eight iron. So 
Um, definitely April is a great time of year for it in tournament conditions. Um, and it's the greens are flawless year round and the whole courses and the fairways are a little longer in December, but not much. And then they shave it down for the tournament. So uh, balls ro- roll into Ray's Creek and uh, all the other penalty areas out there. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize, too, is that, you know, the course is closed all summer long um, due to heat tolerance and, you know, drought tolerance of that grass. Um, they can't have that traffic on it, you know. So people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, you know, if, if you got to play Augusta, you know, would you play it in, like, June or July? I'm like, it's not even open then. You know, it's 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 such a short window, and everything is geared towards making that place pop and and be absolutely perfect for the week of. Yeah, I remember uh, I have a friend, he was a booster of Pacific and now a close friend of mine, and he actually got to play it on opening day in the first week of October. Um, I, I believe that was 2014 as well. And he was just so excited that two Pacific alumni were playing Augusta in the same year. That's it's Yeah, I mean, from a, a small school, that is is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so now you had, you had a... a, a you know, pretty decent year this year, right? We'll fast forward to kind of um, your 2018-19 year, the way the wraparound season is with the tour. Um, one of those highlights, which kind of made, you know, big-time news in the golf world and also in the sports world, uh, was your albatross at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. Was it at the first one ever in competition? That was the first one ever, period. Ever, okay. <laughs> ever, okay. yeah. <laughs> Now, pretty, how many was, uh, how many holes in ones do you have total? I have you know? seven. You have seven. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you know people people always say they're like, oh, I'd rather have a hole in one. I'm like, yeah, like hole in ones no. are cool, but <laughs> this this like never happens. You know, like yeah. the last I one told I can people remember. when it happened, and I was like, I would give up five of my hole in ones for this <laughs> albatross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last one that I can remember making any noise was actually Louis Ustazen's at Augusta. And there hasn't been many, you know, since. Um, and obviously your wife, Val, also your caddy, on the bag for that. And I remember just seeing, um, you know, because the Corn Ferry Tour obviously is not televised that much. Something that we harp on this podcast nonstop that there should be more because the level of golf down there is just phenomenal. Um, but I just remember a cool, uh, little vignette that they had played, I think maybe either on their Instagram page or something with you two after it happened. It was just, that had to be a pretty cool moment out there. Yeah, it was awesome. Cause we were, so the hole's like 580 something yards, I think right in that range. And I'm not a long hitter by any means, but I'm kind of to her average and kind of, there's a bunker on the corner and I was like 285 to cover. And I kind of fly my driver around 290, at least in Nebraska I was. And I'm like, I think I can cover that. I'm just kind of hit a really good drive and it kind of chased down the hill a little bit. And I'm like, is it a five iron? <laughs> like I didn't <laughs> think I could get there in two, let alone with a five iron. And I just kind of ran down there and then it was late in the day. It was like, gosh, I want to say it was like 6:30 PM and it gets dark around eight and the sun was setting behind the green. And you couldn't really see anything because there's a big ball of fire in the sky, and that's all you could see. And I had four iron in my hands. And I'm like, I asked Val, I'm like, is this too much? And she's like, yeah, I think it's five. And I ripped five. And then Dave, the media guy for Corn Ferry, and I've known Dave since high school golf. He was actually a high school coach of one of the rival schools that we were playing for. Um, and he's behind the green with the camera, and I ripped five iron right at it. And then all of a sudden he starts going nuts. And we're like, did that go in? I'm like, it had to have gone in. Like Dave wouldn't jump around and go crazy for nothing. And uh, sure enough, we got down there and it was in the hole. You still have that ball? Oh, yeah. 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 My, my mom actually kept all my golf balls from like special events and stuff. So she had like all my hole in one golf balls and first time shooting in the 60s and uh, all that jazz. So that golf balls with those. That's awesome. When's the when's the first time you broke seventy? Ooh, had to been like when I was like twelve or thirteen. Okay. I don't remember the exact. I think I shot sixty nine at a course called Salt Creek down in Chula Vista, California. Isn't it amazing as golfers like what you can remember? 
Oh, it's incredible. Like uh, <laughs> the shots, the clubs, the yardages. I mean, there's so there's so many shots we take and then all of a sudden you can like re- recall a shot from when you're like 14. Yeah, there's there's things in everyday life that someone could tell you over and over that you just can't commit to memory, but someone could say to you like, "Hey Byron, what was that club you hit on the second shot of uh, you know, the Pinnacle Bank?" And you're like, "Oh, well, it was supposed to be 4 iron, but it was actually 5 iron." Yeah. yeah. I have an easier time remembering that than how to work Skype to call you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you uh, you had just got back from vacation right now, right? You did a little prep work down at Orange County National, where yeah. final stage of, of Corn Tour Q School is going to be. So you were exempt into the final stage, correct? Yep. Okay, and that's based on, obviously, 2019 uh, points list. So... Give me your, your thoughts right away on, um, what is it, Crooked Cat and Panther Lake? Yeah, they are two long golf courses. So What are they, they going to be playing at, do you know? I believe Crooked Cat's at 7,500 yards, sea level in Orlando, and then Panther Lake might be 100 yards shorter, but it's right in that ballpark, and it's, uh, it's going to be time to kind of step it up and hit some quality long irons and fairway woods into greens so i i guess i i have to i've got to get your thoughts on that because you know scott and i are not long hitters okay at all um i am more than comfortable at a course that's 66 5 67 or so you know i kind of yeah. know my limitations um you guys don't get that luxury you know it, it's put down in front of you and this is what you're playing this is the distance how do you feel about about that about certain courses being prepped in a way that is glaringly, obviously um, geared towards a long hitter, you know, or geared towards a specific type of player. I know that there are courses for that. And then as professional golfers, that's our challenge to be able to adapt to whatever we're given and you have to be good across the board and then you have to be great across the board if you want to be number one player in the world so um you can't be like until you get to basically and basically until you get to top 50 in the world you can't really pick and choose your schedule sure once you're fully exempt on pj tour you can pick and choose a little bit um but top 50 in the world you're you can do basically whatever you want which is nice so that guys like I know Kevin Na a little bit, and he doesn't play a tournament unless he's finished top 10 in the tournament in previous years. He knows that certain golf courses are going to be suited to his game better, and then if the course is long or whatever it is, then he goes and hangs out with his family. And right. he's, er- he's earned the right and that luxury to be able to do that, which is awesome. Um, but Corn Ferry, rookie year, we played all of them except for one. And we only took one week off because we were playing like 19 in a row or something crazy. So we played eight in a row and then another eight in a row. Um, so you just kind of have to go and adapt. And I like that challenge. Um, I think week in, week out, the Callaway is great with us so that we can change grinds on wedges or add a hybrid or a three wood or five wood or whatever it might be in order to make the adaptation process a little bit easier. Because if we travel Monday, we really have tuesday to prep and then wednesday's a pro am and then you go so it's adapt and adapt fast otherwise you're going to go home friday night yeah adapt or die right kind of the bottom line exactly um so now this year coming up on the on the corn tour do you feel like there's a little bit more familiarity with everything like things might be a little bit smoother um i only ask because my buddy that caddies out there you know, this year was his first year out there caddying. And one of his biggest issues, I guess, was where to stay, where's the best places to eat, et cetera, et cetera. And after doing that for a year, you kind of have your feet wet. I mean, I'm sure you and Val have certain places that you want to go back to, uh, to stay at and eat, certain places you want to avoid now. You know, how, how, how does that second time around kind of ease the frustration of, of all that hectic travel life? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you can, between whether to fly or drive, like we drove a lot last year, like we drove from Nashville to Kansas City to Knoxville to Chicago, like that was 
40 hours in the car in the course of four events. Like that sort of thing is going to be better to plan. It's going to be ways to plan for. Um, so between flying and staying in restaurants, yeah, it's going to be way easier. Um, and then golf courses alone, I think there's four or five new events this year, but yeah, there's four so new there's, ones. Yep. Yeah. So there's what, 27 or eight events that could is coming up here. So four new ones. I mean, we know 23 of the courses, so that's going to be huge for rest and for practice rounds. Um, you can go and kind of fine tune what you need to work on from the year before on the golf course. If there's anything other than that, you can go have a good practice and kind of rest and make sure you're ready for the event because it's a long season out there. And, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot that we sacrifice to be out there and we're so grateful to be out there. Um, so we're just trying to do it as best as possible and, uh, kind of be ready to go and perform to our capabilities that given week. What, uh, what courses and events take care of you guys the best that, that you personally enjoy being at? They're all pretty good. Um, Savannah, uh, was actually really well done. It felt very close to a PJ tour event. Uh, Pinnacle bank where I made the albatross was awesome as well. Um, Portland was great as well. Um, but they're all pretty good. I mean, coming up from mini tour life and PGA tour Canada and all of that jazz corn Ferry is a step above that. And then the PGA tour obviously is a, another huge step above corn Ferry. So, um, we have everything that we could possibly need to succeed at on the corn Ferry tour. And then once you get to the PGA tour, then you get the courtesy cars and the shuttles and all the, be- and a bigger spread of food and all that jazz. But, it's something that you have to earn in professional golf and uh, I have no problem doing it that way. And I've always kind of tried to kind of check the boxes off at each level as I move up. And if you move back down a little bit, so be it and just kind of go grind and work hard and get there. When you're staying, you and Val prefer being in a hotel or, or staying with the host families. What's your personality dictate? We stayed with 16 host families this year, which gotcha. were incredible. Um, we had every one of them was awesome. We have a few of our favorites, um, but every one of our host families were incredible. And it was a huge part of why we were able to do it uh, together this year. Uh, it saved a ton of money and it just kind of felt a little more like home. So if you're like for our personalities, if we're sitting in a hotel room, and say we play eight events in a row like we did a couple times this year. That's two months every single night in a hotel room. That's a lot of eating out. I mean, we go to Whole Foods to eat at the hot bar um, just so we don't have to go sit down in a restaurant. Um, but stuff like that, like you don't, you don't appreciate until you're out there that staying with a host family in a home rather than a cold box is just an unbelievable advantage in our eyes. Some guys just like to check out, grab Chipotle and go sit in their hotel room. Um, <laughs> right. Right. That's not our style. I like to, we like to cook. We like to visit, uh, just kind of decompress and really just get away from the golf. Cause it's so easy to go sit in your hotel room, watch sports, watch golf, think about golf. Like, uh, sure. We're really focused when we are working on the game and our relationship on the course and the whole bit. And then it's done for the day and you go, text your buddies about sports or cars or whatever it is. Um, so host families are a huge part of uh, our year, that's for sure. I think one of the cool things that you and Val do so well, and is someone that's deeply involved with golf as I am, can appreciate it from both sides, the media side and fan side, is the fact that you really kind of ingratiate yourself to whatever area it is you're playing. Like take Savannah, for example. You know, you kind of get to spend a week as as a southerner when you're with a host family and you kind of get that real local experience uh instead of staying at another Wyndham or another hilton or something along those lines and you guys really showcase that well on your instagram page meths on the move uh talk a little bit about that how how that kind of came about a a joint instagram page that kind of detailed your life and and val's life caddying for you through the corn ferry tour Yeah. So I have, so when I turned pro, I made my Instagram, my personal Instagram public, um, just so that anyone that can follow me and look at my stuff. And it was all about golf. There was a little bit of personal stuff in there, but 
um, 95% of my stuff was golf. Um, and that's kind of, that was my platform to the public and to the fans that I don't know personally. I'm not like, I'm one of those guys that I flat out won't respond to anybody in, in the week of a tournament because I don't want to be on my phone. Um, I just want to chill and visit with the people that I'm around. And that's, that's kind of what I do. Um, and so the Instagram, it was interesting because we found out that a lot of our program groups would want to go and follow us. So they'd follow my Instagram and then, but then they'd ask more questions about like what all goes into it. And we felt ourselves, um, getting a little repetitive with it. And I'm like, there's gotta be a better way, like for everyone to be more involved and understand more. Uh, so Val had a great idea to have a joint Instagram and we can't, we had a bunch of different names and we thought Meths on the move was perfect because we're always on the move and it was simple and it was catchy. And that's kind of what we started with. Um, and then the content portion of it, we just wanted to showcase what we do. Obviously there's a little bit more that goes into it, but the basics of this is what we're doing for practice or we're cooking this or we're cooking that, or here's our host family. Um, and it was a great platform to, to gain followers, to show our friends and family what we're actually doing because we flat out don't get to see our families that often because we're always on the road playing golf. Um, we're going, we split Christmases between my parents and her parents. So like this year we're going to Vancouver for Christmas to spend time with her family. Um, so it was a way for everybody to understand what we're doing. Um, and then our close for our inner circle can still call us and text us and we'll still talk to them. But if everybody would text me personally, I wouldn't be able to respond to anybody because I'm not going to pick, I'm not going to pick you over my buddy, Aaron, for example, to respond to, like, I just won't respond to anybody. And then I'll talk to everybody at the end of the week. Um, so it was a great way to kind of showcase what we're doing. And it, I think it's worked out really well and we can't wait to grow our followers and, uh, show everybody what we're doing. Yeah, and I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you right now, but <clears throat> honestly, I mean, it is so refreshing to see a pro uh, and his professional caddy kind of give something behind the curtain. You know, there's so many pros, and I guess, I guess maybe when you get to that top level, you have to be guarded. But one thing I can't stand in social media is, you know, if there's 15 pros that are all sponsored by a company, you know, at 9.01 – p.m. on a Thursday, every single one of those pros has, you know, a, a, the same tweet that goes out or the same Instagram picture about my watch or this or that. And it just becomes completely disingenuous. Um, and when you do see things, it's these great professional Getty images, you know. And if I'm following someone, I, I want something more raw. I just want to see how you're doing or what you're doing or I can look and I say, oh, hey, Byron and Valor in, um, you know, Topeka, Kansas this week or something like that. And you guys do a great job, I think, of, of giving that behind the scenes look into what goes into being a tour pro. Like it's not all sexy glitz and glamour. You know, there are times when it is, but it is also an extreme grind. Yeah. And she's great at kind of showing what we're doing. Um, and I think a lot of things like, I think you might have seen them when we qualified for the Safeway. We got the Greens books. The yes. Greens books. Yes. The Greens books on Corn Ferry are awesome. The Greens books on the PGA Tour are another level. There's there were four diagrams per green in the book. Like if you can't figure out which way a putt goes with that, you shouldn't be playing golf. A lot of people. There's a huge debate on whether Green books should be legal or not. Of just course. Based on old school, new school, all that jazz, but these green books are incredible and stuff like that. The average Joe doesn't get to see normally. And there are all these guys that are in the stands supporting us and allowing us to play golf for a living. They're drinking their beer. They're having a good time on a Saturday afternoon. And then a pro is on the green looking in his yardage book at a piece of paper. They're like, they have no idea what's on there. So any little tidbit we can share with that, like that's just, it's cool for us to be able to show everybody that doesn't get to see it normally what we're doing and we enjoy it. And Val does a great job writing the page. I think everybody understands that about that. Mostly all that content is Val, uh, <laughs> posting it and everything. Cause, uh, 
but we do it together and we run ideas by each other, but she has such a great creative eye and uh, understands kind of what the, the fans want to see. And she's a great writer. So it kind of works out really well. Are you more of a field player or are you someone that's going to look at those green books and, and completely be able to visualize, like overlay that onto what you see in front of you? I'm a hundred percent field player. I use the green books for more of, more guidance rather than anything but my man i i'm I'm not an aim pointer by any means i'm not like oh this putt's 10 feet i need to hit it like a 12 footer at two degrees at this or that like i'm not going to stick my fingers out and try to figure out where the ball's breaking like i'm going to look at it use it as a little bit of a guidance and on i go i'm i i I love it i'm the same exact way i think there's too many people it's paralysis by analysis i go to courses with my buddies and they're like oh we need to get a yardage book i'm like why i'm gonna hit the fairway i'm gonna take my laser out i'm gonna gun it you're gonna tell me there's 125 and and that's how far i'm gonna hit like i don't need to know anything else make it (laughs) simple you know yeah i think for the average player like it's it's great to be able to kind of see what the pros do but at the same time like nobody needs that to play golf like it's at a, at a recreational level it's about having fun and enjoying it giving your buddies a hard time like you don't need to grind over well, I, well do i need to carry this 123 or 124 or do i need to skip one in there and spin it or like that doesn't need to go on for the recreational golf but uh again when we're trying to save one shot per tournament a half a shot here a quarter shot there like these things do matter um, to an extent, but there's definitely uh, there's definitely players that get caught up in it. Um, but then there's other players like Bryson, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, and I played a bit of junior golf, amateur golf, college golf together, uh, stay in contact a little bit, so I'm at Safeway. But he's done a really good job of taking all the information and figuring out how it works for him. But a lot of a lot of people in the golf world think you either have to be really dumb or really smart to play golf. And that's one debate. I think you either have to dumb it down or be so involved with everything that you know exactly what you're doing. You can't get in this la la land. Um, and he's obviously done the, I want to now analyze everything and figure it out. Um, and I'm kind of that same half of the spectrum, but obviously not that in depth. Yeah, I mean, genius shows itself in in a ton of different ways, you know. Um, There's people that are, you know, physically gifted where they just can look at a shot and say it's 100 yards and this is what I need to hit without lasering or having any type of, you know, markers on the ground. And then there's other guys that want to know wind direction, elevation, precipitation, et cetera, et cetera. It's, It's however your brain works for it to analyze that information. Exactly. So how did you and how did Val end up caddying for you because val if i'm not mistaken is the only full-time female caddy out on the corn tour or at least was last year we don't know this year coming up um and i know personally i know a bunch of couples that one or the other is the professional and one or the other actually is a caddy but not for them um how did that end up coming about because val played golf at a pretty high level correct yeah she played division one college golf at portland state and then uh we got married and we moved to arizona and she was thinking about maybe turning pro and then we decided to focus on my professional career and she supported us financially she got a, a corporate job and we had she had a good salary and health benefits and everything and then but me being on the road and her here doing that it just wasn't very conducive um, she was great at doing that for a year and a half almost, um, while I was grinding it away on mini tours and, and up in Canada. And, um, then our sponsors, Bobby Combs RV, they said, Hey, who do you want to caddy for you? And we ran the numbers and they said, go for it. They said, we believe in you. And, uh, we wanted to, we've always wanted to do it together. Um, she's caddied for me probably six or seven times before this year. And it's been fantastic, and we've had a lot of success. So uh, thanks to our sponsors, we uh, were able to make it happen and just drop everything and go for it. And why not? So I'm assuming it goes either one or two ways. There's either a ton of pressure because 
you're both out there earning both of your livings, you know, you two together. Or does it go the opposite way where it's like, look, you know, the woman I love the most is next to me, supporting me. Uh, You know, I've got I've got everything I need right here. It's not like I need to go and tell her what happened after the round and and bore her because she's with me. Um, What kind of side of the spectrum does that fall on for you two? It's incredible being out there together. We there's no pressure of okay, I need to make this pot to make an extra two hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or whatever it is. Um, we live a very modest life at home, so that we have the ability to go play freed up and enjoy traveling together, enjoy playing golf at a very high level together. And um, our friends Matt and Jill Atkins, uh, Matt played on Corn Ferry and Webb and PJ Tour for a year. Um, we kind of talked to them a little bit and he's like, look, just live within your means. And then the rest of it is so easy that you're going to be able to play freed up. And that's kind of what we chose to do. And, um, we, again, like living simple at home allows us to be on the road together and traveling and enjoying life. And what you see on mess on the move is kind of how we are. Um, there's no, I need to post this. So I look this way or that way. It's, uh, it's just kind of showing us, showing you guys what we do and how we interact with each other. And it's, it's really special to be together. And, uh, a lot of people are like, I don't know how you do it because I couldn't do that with my girlfriend or wife or whatever. But, um, if you understand your significant other, it's, it's something really special and we enjoy it. Yeah. I think that says something more about those people that say those type of things. You know, you kind of wonder how strong those relationships actually are when they say, oh, there's no way in hell I'd ever be able to have, you know, my wife out on the course. Yeah, I think everyone's relationship is different. And uh, we talk about everything together and whether it's home stuff or golf stuff or what we want for dinner. Like, so we, we always are making decisions together. And I think that really helps us on the golf course because, um, she's not afraid to say, Hey, it's not that club or the wind's coming this way or that way. Or if we disagree, then we're like, all right, what's actually going on. And if we can't figure it out, then one of us makes a call. And if I make the call, I'm usually wrong. So I kind of listen to her. (laughs) (laughs) So when are we going to get you caddying for her for some events? Uh, she's tempted to try to qualify for the U S women's open. So, uh, if she does that next year, I'll be on the bag for sure. Yes, that would be awesome. That would be yeah. so cool. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's kind of get you out of here with a few, I don't want to call them rapid fire questions, but just kind of some questions that we kind of ask everyone and see how everybody's opinions differ on things. Um, so first things first, when you're playing a casual round, not so much on tour, you leave the pin in? Uh, from far away, yeah, but close, <laughs> no chance. Fair enough, fair enough. Um Slow play on tour. Corn Ferry Tour is actually not as big of a problem as it is on the PGA Tour. But I was witness to an individual who shall not be named when I was down in Savannah. And I, I was pulling my hair out of my head just following this group for three holes. Um, I couldn't imagine what his playing partners were going through. How often is slow play an issue with people that you're playing with? Um, it comes and goes. Like, there's a lot of guys that are fine pace of play wise, and then something will come up and it'll, it'll trigger something, and they'll slow down, like they'll slow to the screeching halt for two or three holes. So it's more of that sort of thing than slow across the board. Um, but that's just golf. Like, if you're making a bunch of birdies and everything's flowing, you're going to play super fast, and if you're struggling or grinding out a bunch of eight, 10 foot par saves, like it's going to be slower. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, especially with all of us trying to build our careers, like no one wants to let a shot slide. So, um, slow play is one of those things that everyone wants to play fast, but you can only play fast for playing good. Otherwise you're just going to play fast for Thursday, Friday and go home. It's very true. Um, what, what's, what's a, what's a good pace for 18 holes that you like to play at? <laughs> when is, we're is... home, when we're home, we play in three hours, and yeah. if we play in four, four and a half on on tour, that's fantastic. And if it's under five, it's like, eh, okay. And if it's over five, you're like, what? What just happened for the last five hours? Yes, you feel like your entire day has been shot. Yeah, 
especially with the rookie tee times in the back of the pack in the morning and you're teeing off at 9.30 instead of 7.30 and then 2 p.m. instead of 12 and then all of a sudden it's 7 p.m. and you got 30 minutes back to the host family and dinner and all that and you got to be back at the course. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, I remember Portland, actually. I mentioned playing with Tyler and uh, Dre. We were first off in the morning. We played, we played the first nine in like an hour and 40 minutes and had to wait like 25 minutes at the turn for the groups to finish teeing off. And that was awesome. Um, but times like that, you only get those first off in the first off pairings or the marquee pairings or the former PGA Tour players or that sort of thing. As far as driver testing goes out of the PGA Tour, um... Do you like the way that they've been handling it? And do you think that it should make its way down to the corn tour? Um, I, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, everyone's trying to push the limit a little bit. Um, no one's playing illegal stuff on purpose. So if one driver does come back and it's illegal, I mean, all the manufacturers are pushing the boundaries to the absolute limit. Um, so if a driver comes back and it's, 0.01 over like okay switch heads like it's not i think it's for my personal opinion i don't think it's as big of an issue as um some people think it is i there's not one player out there that is cheating with a driver on purpose like they're all like every single driver head is to the absolute limit and some are hotter than others and that's just kind of how it is yeah, I think there's there's just variation in the product itself, in the, in the metals and the materials that's being used. I just wish personally that I could get one that is completely illegal. What you know, once they <laughs> when they test it and they be like, "Hey, this is no good." Uh, let's send that to Dan over there. I would gladly <laughs> take that. So any companies listening, you know, your illegal drivers that you cannot sell, please give me an extra three or four yards. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. How about um? the bifurcation of, of rules, different rules for pros as there would be for amateurs. Most other sports have some semblance of, of different rules as you ascend to the levels of the pro game. Do you think the rules should be made easier for amateurs to understand, or are they kind of good where they are? I think they should be made way simple for amateurs. I mean, if the ball, if you hit it in the trees and can't find it, drop one and play it from there. Like, Amateur golf is meant to be fun. It's meant to be a recreational sport. It's meant to ha go have, if you're an alcohol drinker, you can go have a couple beers and hang out with your buddies and tell stories and just enjoy the day and get away from your whatever you want to get away from. Or just go enjoy it after nine holes, after having a great day. Like It's not meant to be rule sticklers. And I think it's funny when like I'm playing at home with some of the members at the course and then like your ball gets up behind a tree and it's on a route i'm like i'm not hitting that and i recreational like i'm not doing that i do it in a tournament because i'm not saying i'm playable from a route but i'm not going to risk injury because i'm on a route and then i'm like i'm just going to move it and guys are like uh that's a penalty i'm like you're <laughs> joking like <laughs> like we're not playing for our careers right now we're playing to have a good laugh and enjoy the day <laughs> so last, uh, no, I guess two weeks ago now, I played with uh, a buddy of mine, Nick Biondi, who's going to be doing uh, PGA Tour Latino America Q School. And we were down in outside of Philly playing at a country club down there. And, uh, you know, all day we were just, you know, you lose a ball in the water, just drop one, hit it. And he got to the 18th and, and just got a bad number from the guy he was playing with and flew the green to the water. So he's like, I'm just going to drop it. And we're like, oh, hell no, dude. We're like, that's an illegal drop. You got to bend down and it's got to be from your knee pro, you know, and just, just give him a bunch of crap for it. Yeah. He's like, you, you guys are serious, right? I'm like, yeah. Hey, I said you chose this life, man. Not me. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where, that's where it gets fun. Cause like as pros, like we're so serious all the time because again, we have to be for our job. Um, everything that we do on the course, off the course matters. Um, and then when you get home, definitely without a doubt all of our friends across the board whether it's me whether it's bryson whether it's my friend matt or brett it doesn't matter all of our friends give us a hard time and make sure we follow the rules and be professional and i'm like it's it's so funny because it, it's the same across the board and um all of our friends are they're fantastic because they're our friends for a reason and just like 
anybody else. You have your group of friends and you get along with and you give each other a hard time and that's that's how life goes. Yeah, you got to have fun with it, you know? Yeah. All right, last last question here. Uh, how about music on the course during practice rounds or stuff where you're at home playing with buddies? Yes or no? Um, I'm so easy going. It doesn't matter. As long as it's not like screamo or like heavy metal, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty good with it. <laughs> Anything particular you'd be listening to or um, just, just kind of background music to you? Something chill. I warm up with headphones because I just try to zone in that last hour, 15 minutes before I tee off because there's a lot of stuff going on during a tournament. So um, there's people that you've met once 10 years ago that are out watching you, which is awesome. But they want to catch up. You Like they if they want to catch up and like talk to you before you're around, you're like, I'm just trying to warm up and do my job. Like would I come up to your cubicle and talk to you while you're trying to send an email to your boss? Like, that sort of thing. So um, there's a lot there. That's like a small example, but there's a lot going on between average carts and, and ice buckets and uh, all sorts of things going on. But um, so I warm up with headphones and listen to something chill. Um, there's a band actually from Arizona called Arizona. Um, they're kind of like chill house music and that sort of thing. Just something to kind of be in the background and uh, get me in the zone. Gotcha. That's a, it's a, it's a great point for people that are out there that maybe follow you on Instagram or, you know, think they kind of know you through that and stuff. Um, I was at the Wyndham championship this year, which was the last one before the the playoffs. So it was very, very tense. There's a ton of guys, you know, wanting to get into that top 125. And I was hanging around one of the greens and uh, just talking with a few of the caddies and two guys who were just following groups came up. And they were like, oh, dude, you got inside the ropes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're here doing media. He's like, yo, you should go over him and just, like, dude, ask him what ball he's playing. I'm like, no, that's not how it works, guys. Like, they're busy. And that's a, that's such a great analogy. Like, no, you would not go to someone's job and interrupt them, you know, and be like, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Remember that Instagram post you made? Can we chat about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and it's it's all part of it too. Like, you don't, you never know what someone's gonna say, and you just have to adapt and be professional. Say, hey, I'll talk to you later. There's all sorts of on the corn ferry doesn't happen too often, but they're like playing Safeway. There's a bunch of people there. They all want autographs. No one knows who I am at that level. Like, right? They just see you with a sponsor shirt. Exactly. So they see the Callaway on my shirt or whatever it is, and. Uh, they see me walking down the stairs in the locker room, going to the putting green to warm up with, for my round, and I've got my headphones in. Like, hey, can I have an autograph? I'm like, I'll sign whatever you want after I'm done. Like, let me do my, let me do what I'm doing, and then I'll give you all the time in the world. And that's something that I think Phil Mickelson's really good at, and that's kind of who I watched growing up from San Diego and everything. And he uh, he spends so much time with the fans, and that's why his fan base is so large, and that's why he's successful with his uh instagram that's been going for a little over a year now and um he's the man of the people and that's kind of that's kind of how a true professional in my opinion kind of goes about his business do your work and then spend the time with the people because without all the fans out there buying all the equipment at retail prices or supporting and going to events and being interactive on social media like without all the fans we wouldn't be able to play at the level we do yeah it's it's so true and i i do love the line after the round because as media i've gotten that from a few people um from some decently you know big names and and buddies that i bring along the tournament is like oh dude that's awesome he's gonna talk to you after the round i said no that's that's not what it means my man it just he just needs to blow me off nicely because i've got this media credential around my neck that's all it means <laughs> But that's very cool. Uh, Byron, so tell people real quick how they can follow you, uh, you know, view your story, see what's going on with you, um, catch up with you as as December rolls around for the final stage of Q School. How can people uh, view you on social media? Yeah, so our Instagram account, our joint one we were talking about, Meth on the Move, it's, that's going to be the best platform to understand what we're going through behind the scenes and during tournaments and everything. So Mets on the move on Instagram is definitely the best, uh, best platform for that. And then I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well, but 
everything we do goes through Mess on the Move. So give us a follow. Very cool. Well, I cannot thank you enough uh, for your time. And you have, without a doubt, turned me into a meth head. Awesome. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, Dan. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.